Welcome to Mountain View Church Audio, coming to you from the Wilderness City, Whitehorse, Yukon. We strive to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Are you humble before God? Or do you resist and rely on your own ways? Humility is not an easy thing to live out. It doesn't come naturally to most people, and it's truly rare to find someone who is humble in everyday life. In fact, there was only one who was truly humble in all things, and he humbled himself even unto death on our behalf. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus and his willingness to put aside his deity and allow himself to be crucified for our sins. All things were created through him, and yet he allowed himself to be destroyed by his own creation in order to benefit that creation. He put us first. This is the ultimate picture of humility. There was a song that I remember singing in summer camp, and the lyrics said, You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, and suffered at the hands of those you had created. This is humility. And we need to look no further than Christ to see what it looks like. He is humility personified. The results we see stemming from this humility are things like patience, generosity, understanding, mercy, and love, to name a few. When we look at people, we see a lot of other things. Arrogance, hubris, greed, self-righteousness, and the actions that play out as a result of such attitudes can be deceit, manipulation, dishonesty, theft, one-upmanship, cheating, and a whole host of other things that look nothing like Christ. We as humans are very good at these ones. We see it all over the news, all day, every day. Just look at what's happening as we speak in Europe. One world leader in particular is showing us all of these fallen qualities as well as his willingness to use these methods and means to get what he wants. Zero humility present. This is an extreme example, but a very visible one right now, and the results of this mentality are clearly devastating. Most of us will never go to these extremes to serve ourselves, but I think it's fair to say that most of us don't exhibit anything close to true Christ-like humility either. We land somewhere in between. I know I do. I'm not always humble, and at many times in my life, I've found myself thinking that my ways are pretty great. The Bible shows us what humility looks like in a few different places, actually many different places, but one of them is Philippians 2 verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility is submitting ourselves before a living God, recognizing His instructions as the proper way to live and act, and putting others ahead of ourselves. Resistance to God is folly, and yet we persist in our resistance. One way we see this resistance play out is defaulting to or elevating tradition, the way we do things. We do things a certain way, And we get used to that. And often these ways have good intent behind them. Perhaps they're efficient, or they worked well in the past, or they just plain make sense to us. 
we become comfortable with the way we do things, and then slowly we start to attach some sort of value to these traditions. We make them more than just methods of operation. And if we're not careful, we make them idols. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves putting traditions before what God would have us do. Or instead of listening for God's instruction and being ready and willing to respond, we allow our ways and wants to become first and foremost. We want to do what we want to do. We like our ways, and we resist changing them even when God shows us a better way. There isn't much peace or freedom in doing things this way, though. In fact, chaos and collateral damage can often be the eventual result of insisting on doing the way, doing things the way we want to do them, or doing what we think is best for us, instead of being still before God and asking Him to guide us. Now, it's great for me to sit here and say things like, be humble, or put God's ways before your own. But this really only becomes possible when we first submit to God and admit ourselves as flawed and broken. This begins our journey towards humility and away from resistance. And sometimes it can take a lifetime. But a look at the thief on the cross should bring us some comfort. A lifetime of putting himself first led to his destruction. But then a change took place. A single moment of true humility. Understanding his place and submitting to God led to paradise with Christ. We're all at different points in our sanctification journey, in our walk with Christ. And no one experiences things quite like anyone else. We can all learn from God, be still before God, and put aside our own best practices for His. His are better. Today is number 10 of our sermon series, Working Our Way Through Hebrews 11. And today we'll see that our heroes of faith sometimes took a while to get to the place of putting God first sometimes took a while to become humble. Today's hero, Jacob, resisted. He tried to do things his own way many times. But in the end, put God first and put aside his traditions and his ways to see God's will be done. Now faith is the insurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So when we think about heroes, we like to think of them as better, uh, greater than us. We think of, of someone that we want to look up to, someone that we might emulate, someone that we want to be like. Jacob is not one of these. Jacob is neither heroic nor is he faithful, nor humble. Last week we were introduced to Jacob uh, in Elijah's sermon about Isaac. Isaac was Jacob's father. And we saw that, that Jacob didn't have a really great start. Uh, he grew up in a super dysfunctional family, and he was exposed to man manipulation and lying and, and um, one-upmanship at a pretty early age. And we saw this play out in him. So, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew language, the name Jacob means deceiver, or cheater, or, or the Hebrew expression, to take by the heel, to take another by the heel, to try and hold someone else back, to put yourself first. 
So this is who Jacob is. Now, as we saw, he grew up in this, in this kind of family dynamic where there wasn't a lot of love and there was a lot of, um, well, maybe the opposite of love. Uh, we saw Jacob put in a position where one parent was telling him, hey, do this thing, and where another parent didn't want really anything to do with him. And he became kind of embroiled in this, and it, it turned who he was into, into someone that matched his name. He was a deceiver. He, he would do whatever he could do to get ahead. And we saw, we saw it in, in examples of him extorting the birthright from his brother for a meal. When, when he should have just wanted to feed his brother and love on his brother, but, but he, wasn't, he wasn't that kind of guy. And we saw him lie to his father, and we saw him steal blessings from his father, and basically try and take advantage of any situation. Jacob wanted to be ahead, and he was willing to step on people to get there. And this is never, this is never a good way for us to live. It may, it may give us a slight advantage for a time. It may lead to us thinking, hey, we got it figured out. We just got to do things our way, and we'll be good. It, it may lead to us seeing ourselves as more important than others. Oh, but this, this comes crashing down eventually. And, and it does for Jacob, too. And as, as his father Isaac's um, very old and is about to die, he catches wind that his brother Esau, who's mad at him for, for stealing the birthright and uh, the blessing from his father, Esau's going to take him out. Esau's going to wait until Isaac dies and then kill his brother Jacob. Jacob gets wind of this, and so he's forced to flee. Jacob's on the run, uh, which doesn't really jive with, with the idea of a hero. It's not very heroic, but he's doing, again, what he has to do. And so all Jacob's deception and all his manipulation and all his uh, trying to put himself first has come crashing in on him, and he's got to get out. So he does. He runs. And this is the first thing we're going to read about today is God actually shows up to Jacob in a dream while he's on the run. And, and we'll see Jacob's uh, lack of humility even in the face of, of an interaction with God. So if we go to Genesis 28, uh, we've been working our way through Genesis with these heroes of faith. And as I said, today's doesn't seem like much of a hero, but we'll get there. Jacob, Jacob grows. So, uh, Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And at the top, of, the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall the family, all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God speaks to Jacob, and Jacob wakes up, and in this, in, this, in this dream, God is, is promising Jacob something. He's promising that Jacob is part of his plan. He's promising that Jacob is the continuation of the promise made to Abraham. 
promise made to Isaac, that their offspring would number as the stars, as the sand on the seashore. And to Jacob, he even says as dust. Like, that's a lot. That is a huge lineage. And, and Jacob is, is confirmed as a part of this by God himself. And Jacob isn't, isn't a humble guy. And so he sees this, he, he sees God promising him something directly, and you would think most of us would respond pretty well to that and be thankful and humbled before God. But, but Jacob, uh, he kind of goes the other direction. He's very transactional, as we've seen in, in, his pre- in the previous stories about him. And he's always, he's always trying to get something. He's always trying to get his way. He's always trying to manipulate the situation so that it works for him. And we all do this. We see this play out all the time in our, in our world. In fact, we're encouraged to do this. We're encouraged to manipulate the situation in order to gain control or in order to get things to happen the way that we want them to, in order for the best outcome to be ours. And Jacob's even willing to do this with God. So when we look at Genesis 28, uh, verse 20, we see this play out. And Jacob says, or sorry, then, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So even though God has made him a promise, God has made himself known to Jacob, God has spoken to Jacob like this is, this doesn't happen to everybody. And Jacob is still not humble before God. And he's still like, okay, I want everything to be done my way. And then you can be God to me. He just doesn't get it. And I think that's, uh, that rings true in a, lot of, in a lot of people's lives today. A lot of people will kind of look at things like, well, if things work out for me, then maybe I'll believe in God. Or if God shows himself or gives me a sign or, or does this thing for me then I'll believe in him. But it's not humble. It's transactional. It's negotiating with God, and, and it's certainly not submission. It's resistance. And so this is the kind of the theme of Jacob's life. Later on, um, well, Jacob's running again. So he ran from his brother to his uncle in a different land. And he kind of started the same kind of stuff. And he ends up in this in this cycle of plot and drama and conflict and he's always running he's always running from something and this is this is so poignant in most of our lives uh we we live in a lot of chaos and we live in a lot of conflict and and sometimes if we don't have enough conflict or drama we create it and we can, can maybe even get addicted to it um and humility can take a long time sometimes we we need a pretty serious wake-up call uh, in order to see how we're being, see the way that we're living our lives and become humble, humble before God. I used to run a business, and this is, this is a few years ago now, but it was pretty successful, and I made a lot of money. And you'd think that would be great. That sounds awesome. And it was, except it wasn't. So... Being in this position of uh, prestige or, or success changed me. And it, 
having a lot of money kind of made me the opposite of humble, and I became very arrogant. And if you were here when I did my first sermon a few months ago, you probably heard this story, but I'll just reiterate it quickly. So I was, I was driving, I was on my way to a meeting, and I thought this was a very important meeting because I was going to be there. I don't even remember what it was now, but, but it was super important to me. And so I'm driving my fancy new vehicle and feeling pretty awesome about myself and looking, literally looking down on the world around me. Um, I had elevated myself quite a bit in my mind. And I was behind this fellow driving a, an old beat-up car. And I remember he was going really slow, and I was mad, and I was swearing at him, and I was yelling, and I was just judging him and, and tearing him apart in my mind. And, and I remember thinking, like, you know, how, how many poor choices must you have made to be in this position driving this car? And, like, why couldn't you be more like me? Uh, look at all the stuff I've done. Look at all the stuff I've got. My way is the right way. This is, this is how I was being. And it was like I had a moment where, I mean, I look at it now and I'm like, God kind of gave me a wake-up call. But it's like I was shown a picture of, of what I looked like at that moment. I could see myself in this, this arrogant air about me. And it woke me up. And I realized, like, wow, this isn't who I'm supposed to be. This isn't how I was raised. What is wrong with me? I'm allowing my circumstances to change who I am, and I'm, I'm not the least bit humble. And this is before I'm a Christian, but this is God working on me. And, and there's a lesson in that for everyone. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't know him, he knows you. And he, he may do work in your life that you don't even clue into that, that it's him. And then eventually later on in your life, maybe you become a Christian and you can look back and you can say, oh, yeah, yeah I see what you did there. He was, you, were, you were doing something special there with me. And this is one of those things for me. So humility became important to me at that point. And I actually eventually got out of the business, not because it was a bad business, but because the success I had in it had clearly affected me in a negative way. And so I guess the point of the story is that we don't always even realize that we're not humble or, or we don't always really realize how far from humble we are. But God will give you a wake-up call. And for me, it was, it was gentle, uh, but it did the job. Uh, for Jacob, it's a little, it's a little, a little different. So we're going to go ahead to Genesis 28.20. And so Jacob is, is doing his thing, and now he has to run from his uncle. So he's in more trouble. And he's running back in the direction of the brother that wants to kill him because of the way he treated the brother. And Jacob is, Jacob is he's in trouble. Like, he's lost. He's, he's got nowhere to go. He's got no one in his corner. He's kind of hit rock bottom. And often that's where we need to get before God gets through to us. And so Jacob finds himself alone. And I'll just read Genesis 28, or sorry, Genesis 32, uh, 24 through 30. Genesis 32, 24 through 30. Jacob is alone. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him, 
until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob is finally humbled. Jacob's finally humbled before God. He wrestled with God all night. And we wrestle with God in our lives constantly. We don't like the idea of submitting. And everything that surrounds us tells us to put ourselves first and tells us that we're the most important character in the play. That we should do everything we can to get ahead. That we deserve it. That's how Jacob was. And then he wrestled with God all night, and God, God humbled him. But God also blessed him. See, once we're willing to accept that God is above us, and God's first, then we're in a position to be blessed by God. And this is what happens. So, so Jacob, at some point in this, in this match, this wrestling match, um, and I don't think it looks exactly like we would picture a wrestling match today, but at some point in this, he recognizes that this is God. He recognizes that he's up against God, and, and God humbles him with this injury to his hip. And Jacob would carry this injury for the rest of his life, and he leaves knowing that God is in charge. But he also knows that God has blessed him. And now he will serve God. God changes his name, so he goes from deceiver Jacob means deceiver, to Israel, which means struggles with God or strives with God. This is a good picture of who we are. We struggle with God. Even if we're not super bad and, and super deceitful, uh, we still struggle. We still wrestle with God. We still, well, we just don't like the idea of putting someone first, even if he is God. And, and sometimes this can take a lifetime. And hopefully God doesn't need to give us the kind of wake-up call that he had to give Jacob. But from that moment, Jacob has now been humbled. He's had a lifetime of training in humility. And as plenty of examples of, of seeing what resistance and this kind of self-serving attitude results in, and it's not good, it's, it's chaos and, and having to flee and fear and and doubt, and uh, just destruction. His life was headed down this horrible path, and then he meets God, and, and he finally puts God first. He finally understands who God is, and we all wrestle with God in our own way. But we need to humble ourselves before him, not resist him. Then he can work with us. He can work through us. He can use us in the way that he wants to. Now, you might be wondering, how does this tie into Hebrews 11? And we, uh, we saw the scripture read earlier 
But I'll just read it again in Hebrews 11, verse 21. There's only one verse that concerns Jacob. So we saw Jacob's life story, and we saw his condition as, as not humble, as, as a resistor, as a self-serving kind of guy. Um, and in Jacob 21, or sorry, in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 21, we see, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Maybe you're like, what does that mean? The sons of Joseph. Well, Joseph's going to come up next week. Joseph is one of Jacob's sons, and Jacob has actually 12 sons. And these 12 sons, um, we know that from, from the story of Isaac, typically the first son would be blessed, and then all of the sons together would be blessed. And this is the tradition of primogeniture that Elijah introduced us to last week. So this is the way that people do it. You, you bless your first son, but all of the sons are present. You bless all your sons, and then you die. Um, Jacob goes against this. He goes against tradition. He knows what God wants, and he's listening to God's will. So he's, he's dying, and he calls Joseph his second youngest son, and he, he says, bring your sons to me. So his grandsons. And he adopts them as his sons as well which is, goes against tradition right there. But then he blesses them before his own sons. <clears throat> and he even goes so far as to bless the younger one first. The younger one's name is Ephraim. And it doesn't really track with us like why he blesses Ephraim first. Um, we don't really understand why he did all this other than it was God's will. But if we look a little further down the road, these sons of Jacob... Be, come to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And Ephraim and Manasseh are the two grandsons, and they're adopted in. And we find that Ephraim is actually, when, when the nation of Israel gets out of bondage in Egypt, and we're looking down the road here a little bit, but I just want to give you some context on, on why this was important that Ephraim was blessed first. When uh, Israel's freed from bondage in Egypt, as we'll learn in the next few weeks, and travels through the wilderness and is finally entering the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham many, many years ago. The leader of Israel who leads the nation into the promised land, his name is Joshua, and he's from the tribe of Ephraim. God's always working on levels that we just can't get, that we can't see, and you kind of have to read a lot of this book or this whole book to see all of the ways that God's working above and beyond what we would normally expect. And we, we can catch snapshots by reading these individual stories, but really, it's the whole thing. You put the whole thing together and, and you begin, just begin to see the majesty of God and how far above us He is, how great His plan is, how, how vast His knowledge is. And it's little things like this that just make you go, wow. So, I want to go back to, to the dream that Jacob had. It's known as Jacob's ladder. And, and what we see in, in people is this desire to do everything ourselves. And so, we, we know the story of the, the Tower of Babel, or Babel, I think it's Babel. And... Man created this building, this tower, to try and reach heaven. We were trying to get to heaven on our own. We were trying to get to the level of God. And they built this giant tower. 
but it would never make it. It was destined to fail. We cannot get to heaven on ourselves. If you've been watching our series, you know that, um, or if you've read the Bible, you know that we're separated from God by this vast divide caused by our sin. And so, try as they might, they were not able to build a tower high enough to get to heaven. We can't get to God. We can't touch God. We can't be with God. Our sin prevents it. But Jesus, Jesus changed everything. And so, Jacob's ladder, remember there was a ladder that went from heaven to earth. And if we go to John, uh, the Gospel of John, which is the fourth Gospel, and we read right at the beginning, chapter 1. Take me a moment to get there. John 1, 51. Jesus identifies, he makes this, this ladder clear. He makes, makes it clear what that was about. He says, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This might seem rather cryptic, but Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's one of the, it's one of the many names that Jesus has in the Bible. And he's the connection between heaven and earth. He is how we get to heaven. He's the only way we get to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is our bridge, our ladder, our staircase. And he made it possible by his sacrifice. Sacrificing himself on a cross. His blood atoning for our sins. He gives us this access to heaven that we can never have on our own. We couldn't, we couldn't create a way for ourselves to get there. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus, Jesus connects heaven and earth. And what it takes for us to have us access, access to heaven through Jesus, is humility and not resistance. We need to see ourselves in our true state, see our sinful nature, and admit it and repent. And then believe that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, died on a cross for us, rose again three days later, and ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us. He's defeated sin and death, and he's given us access to the kingdom. But we must be humble enough to recognize that we can't get there on our own. Jesus is the way. I want to pray, and then I want to, I want to get into, typically we would do discussion questions, but there's something that I think is very important that we need to address. And so I'll say a prayer of thanks for Jesus giving us a way to heaven. And then we'll go through a couple of things, and then I'll ask you one discussion question. Lord, thank you for the story of Jacob. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience with people. Thank you for this love that you have that goes far beyond our ability to love. This patience that you have with us that goes far beyond our ability to be patient. We, 
we can't even understand what it took for you to sacrifice your son for us and Jesus for you to willingly go to the cross for us. We just, we can't even compute that in our brains. But you loved us enough to make a way for us despite our sinful nature. To make a way for us to be clean. To make a way for us to be with you in heaven. Lord, we're very thankful for that. We're thankful for these stories in Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 that, that give us some insight into what humanity is like, but also what you are like. Give us insight in, in what faith looks like and how people can change, how you can change us. We can never earn our place in your family on our own. We can never earn a place in heaven. Be made a way for us. And we're eternally grateful for that, Lord. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in my introduction, I discussed a little bit about what's going on in the world today. And I want to I give you a bit of a bigger picture. In Romans 3.10, it says, None is righteous. No, not one. None of us, none of us people are righteous. None of us are capable of earning our way to heaven through our own deeds. Now, in the current conflict, the current war that we see, it might be easy for us to kind of identify one side is good and one side is bad. And it's pretty easy for us to look at, look at an invading force, perhaps as the bad guys. Uh, and it makes sense. But, but we can't just look at this one picture to understand true good and true bad. Because the truth is, people have been doing this for centuries, for millennia. We're very good at war. And men always think that their cause is justified. We are, we are able to twist in our minds that, that we're in the right, even though we're causing destruction, causing chaos, causing death. We can still trick ourselves into thinking that we're right and we're justified. The truth is we're all broken people, and we're led by fallen men and fallen women. None is righteous. No, not one. There is only one who is good. And all of us will eventually have to answer to him. For the way that we lived our life, for our actions. And whether you believe in God doesn't have the least effect on whether he exists. Whether you choose not to believe in him will not change the fact that you will have to answer to him. You will stand in front of him in judgment, as will I, as will we all. And that's just a fact. That's just the truth. It doesn't matter how that makes you feel. It doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. In fact, it should be uncomfortable. We need to humble ourselves before God, and this is more urgent than any of us can imagine. We need to choose the side of God. As I said, the current conflict, it's pretty easy to pick, to pick the side of good. 
or to at least identify the side of evil or the side of bad. But there's a bigger situation going on for all of us, all humans, all people. And it needs to be addressed. It is urgent. We need to humble ourselves before God and stop resisting Him. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world where sin thrives and darkness persists. What we're seeing in Europe is just just one little bit of this big picture. But it's not forever. There's an author by the name of C.S. Lewis and you might know him from Lion, Witch, Witch in the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, but what you might not know about him is that he was a Christian. He understood there was a God. He understood humbling himself before God. And he understood the urgency of our tenuous position and the condemnation under sin. He understood what we need to do that we need to stop resisting and humble ourselves before God. He put it this way, God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly with our world quite realize what it'll be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right. But what is the good of saying you're on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered your mind to conceive, comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It'll be too late to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It'll be the time when you discover which side you really have chosen. Whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Normally we would do discussion questions, but today I just have one. Have you made your choice? Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you have given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know. Email connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. Lastly, feel free to connect with us through social. Just search at Mountain View Whitehorse. Have a blessed week.